Is it possible to be a first-time founder twice? And what's it like to start and grow a unicorn and then attempt to do it all over again, but with a completely different business model? And how about serving as a mentor and trusted advisor while also stepping out into the unknown yourself? Welcome to Casting a Vision. I'm your host, Lindsay Chepkema. I'm a B2B marketer turned first-time CEO and founder at a marketing technology SaaS company that my co-founders and I named Casted. If I have learned anything in this role that I'm in now, it's that it's unique, to say the least. There really is absolutely nothing else like it. It's all about getting really nice and comfy cozy with being uncomfortable. And while you're out here in the wilderness charting a new path forward, there is so much richness in the experiences of others who have done it before. And if anyone has done this before successfully, it's Scott Dorsey. He's currently managing partner of High Alpha, a leading venture studio that launches, scales, and invests in enterprise cloud companies, including Casted, where he also serves as one of our board members. But prior to High Alpha, Scott co-founded Exact Target and led that company as CEO and chairman from its startup to global marketing software leader. Exact Target went public on the New York Stock Exchange in March of 2012 and then was acquired by Salesforce in July of 2013 for $2.5 billion. Billion, with a B. But post-acquisition, he led the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, which encompassed 3,000 employees around the world. So in addition to all of that, Scott has somehow found the time and the mental bandwidth to be a truly incredible partner and mentor to me. And I am so very eager for you all to listen in on our conversation as he shares what it was like when he was in my shoes as a first-time founder and CEO and how he both grows leaders and how he grows as a leader himself every day. It's such an honor. I'm so excited to have you here. It feels like it's it's about time, finally, you know, two years later, um, to finally have you on on a casted podcast show. So yeah, thank you, Lindsay. No, I'm honored, honored to be a part of the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So there's so much that we could talk about. Um, you've really been a part of of my leadership journey. You've been a part of Casted's story um, as as a board member, as a true partner to me and to the business as an investor with High Alpha. So there's so much that we could dig into, but I really want to focus on, on kind of the leadership story and, and your leadership story, because there's there's many dimensions there. So um, of course you are, you, you were a founder of Exact Target and now of High Alpha. And so I would love to, to rewind. Uh, if, if, you can, if you can go back in time to when you were where, I and, and Casted is is now right. So just post Series A, um, fast growing company, um, so much potential, so much excitement, but also you had perfect knowledge of where you were and where you wanted to be. Tell me, tell me what that was like for you. You know, first time founder uh, for a really fast growing company. What kind of go back in time and, and and fill me in on what that what that was like for you to be in the seat? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Lindsay. I was thirty three when we started Exact Target. First-time founder, you know, really first-time CEO, didn't have a technical background. So I was, you know, I was jumping in, you know, probably much, much like you felt over the last couple of years, you know, learning so many things. 
in uh, in the early days of, of building a business and and really growing and developing as a leader. I uh, I just finished graduate school. I uh, went to uh, Northwestern Kellogg and uh, earned, earned my MBA, and uh, and that was a really useful experience for me. I had three years of thinking about entrepreneurship and, and studying kind of first-gen internet business models and learning about technology. So this was a path I really, really wanted and I was really committed. And uh, I had had a number of leadership experiences kind of throughout my life in you know high school and college and then you know kind of the early chapter of my career. So I I felt I, I felt like I could be successful as a leader, but you don't know, you know, and, and, uh, and jumping in as a first time founder and CEO, you know, I always like to use the phrase like you, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I had so many unexplored areas that I, that I just had to learn about. And, and for me, the key was both hiring a phenomenal team that I could learn from and they could push and challenge me as much as I would push and challenge them and then having the right mentors and advisors. And we raised our, our Series A from a phenomenal firm in New York, Insight Venture Partners. And they had 50 or 60 portfolio companies that looked just like us. Hmm. And I was really eager, not only to learn from the Insight team, but build those peer-to-peer relationships, You know, meet those other CEOs that I could learn from. And I'll tell you, one of the nicest compliments I, re- I received, Lindsay, is they later reflected that I attended more of their programming than any CEO they'd ever worked with, and uh, and and for me it was it was natural curiosity, but also acknowledgement that there were just so many things I didn't know. So my my strategy was I attended all of their CEO programs and workshops, but I also attended every program they had built for a functional leader. So I I needed to learn as much as I could about engineering and software development, and they they had a program for software development leaders, uh, CTOs, and I I attended that one with my CTO, so we could learn a common vocabulary and we could kind of learn alongside one another. And then I would do the same thing for sales and go to market or professional services or all the different programming. And I, in many ways, you know, I think a CEO needs to be a generalist, you know, you need to be well-versed enough across every dimension of the business that you can ask the right questions and know how to stitch those different parts and pieces together. And for me, our series, a investor insight was uh, they had a phenomenal platform in which I could, I could learn and grow and develop. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. I mean, it's, it's, I, I say all the time to you and to everybody else, it's being in this seat, uh, you know, first time fast growth is, is just getting used to being uncomfortable. It's just finding comfort in uncertainty and um, saying, okay, if, if I'm, if things start to get too comfortable or too clear, I, something's wrong. Like I, I need to start branching out and, and to getting a little bit more uncomfortable. So, but what was that like? I mean, it's, it's exact target was such a success story. I mean, everybody in and around SaaS and in around marketing, and of course here in Indy knows it well, but you lived it and you were, you know, in this seat at the time before you knew what a success story it was going to be. What, what were some of the things that kept you up at night and some of the things that you felt most uncertain about, um, when you were kind of in, in these shoes? Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. I, you know, had a lot of vulnerability, you know, Lindsay, of just wondering, you know, am I the right person to lead the company? And can I grow and develop as fast or faster than the business? You know, can I continue to to grow in a way where I'm going to be the right person to continue to lead the company? And, you know, a couple, couple of stories I'll share. When when we're getting started, we had three of us that founded Exact Target, me, Chris, and Peter. And, you know, we kind of agreed that I would you know, ultimately lead the company, but early days, we ran it very much like a partnership. And I, I wasn't even comfortable taking the CEO title. So I, 
kind of made up the title of president and said, you know, I'll be CEO one day if if you feel like I, I've earned it, you know, and I deserve it. And I've kind of grown into that role. And, uh, you know, that first evolution as a, as a co-founding team is you really do run the business more as a partnership. One person needs to be in charge to ultimately make decisions, but it's highly collaborative and, and kind of very partner oriented, which is which is my natural style anyway. Over time, as you get bigger, you know, the need for a clear leader and, and a clear CEO becomes evident. And I was, you know, I was happy I could kind of grow into that role. But even raising the Series A, Lindsay, I was very intimidated by, by insight. I remember, you know, signing, a, signing the term sheet. I was on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan with, you know, really, really smart, experienced investors in insight. And I wasn't sure I could do it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was maybe signing, signing away the loss of my job, you know, if six or 12 months later, they didn't feel like I was, I was talented enough or, or the right person to ultimately read the, lead the company. But, but thankfully, you know, I think staying humble and curious and, and a little vulnerable is, is the right approach when you have so much to learn and you just need to surround yourself with people that make you better. And then also, and I'm sure you've already felt this in, in two years at Casa, Lindsay, but you, you end up feeling like you have different jobs um, all within one job, or you have kind of different chapters, you know, to your story where you have to evolve differently as a leader. Early days, as I mentioned, it's um, hands-on, everybody working together, very partner and collaborative. Uh, over time, you have to get comfortable delegating and hiring people that know way more than you do about their given discipline and, and empowering them and giving them the framework and the tools to be incredibly successful. And then you have to kind of keep elevating as a leader. All of a sudden, you're now you're managing managers and you have to kind of keep elevating as a leader and really understand where you can have the biggest impact on the business and what does the business need from you? And also what's your leadership style? You know, and that'd be a fun topic for us to explore, but there's no one size fits all leadership style. You yeah. know, you have to know enough about yourself and enough about the organization you're leading to kind of leverage your strengths and develop your own approach. It's very true. It's very true. And it's, it's so great and so refreshing to hear you talk about how scary it was and how uncertain it is because right. it's, it truly is so unknown, which is part of what makes it so exciting. And, and you told me and the other partners I have told me when we got started, look, this, this company, this culture, this job will be what you make it, which is so hard to receive until you're in it. But it's so true because the entire team that comes around you. I also have two co-founders who are wonderful and we compliment each other really well. And then as the team grows, you know, it, it truly is based around, you know, how, how we started it and, and what we need around us to make us and the company and the team better. And um, it is really interesting how, how, how those roles change because like you said, you kind of get started and you're in it. You're all, all hands on deck all the time, doing all the things. And with each milestone, you know, we talked about this too, things change so much. Like I, I could feel, especially with, um, with each round, you know, a seed round and then the series A, I can feel like the job description changing, like I'm getting right, right, pulled absolutely. in a different direction. And so how did you, um, another thing that you've, you've, coached me on is, is that there will be a lot of people in your ear. And I think, you know, CEO founders, I think this is also true for, you know, senior leadership that especially the more successful you are, the more people are going to come alongside you and say, Hey, here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to go. Here's what you need to implement. Here's who you need to hire. How, how did you specifically, um, 
kind of weed through and sift through what to receive and what to say, thanks, not a fit for, for me or for what we're doing. What did, how did you do that over time? And how do you continue to do that? That's a great topic, Lindsay. And, and you're so right. Even thinking about your allocation of time now that you've raised your series A, it's different. You have, you have your board of directors is larger. You've got more governance, more structure. You have more investors that you need to keep apprised of how things are going in the business and hopefully pull out the very best of what, what they have to offer. So, you know, being eyes wide open, you know, around how your time allocation is going to shift and how you're able to shift more responsibility to your team. You know, that's the key, I think, to kind of growing and evolving and scaling. I find the best CEOs, and I 100% put you in this category, Lindsay, are both curious and coachable, but also have a very strong point of view. And um, you don't want to have such a strong point of view that you're not coachable, but you also don't want to be so coachable that you say yes to everybody and you don't even have kind of a clear vision uh, that's yours, you know, that you're kind of casting for the company and, and, and for the organization. So I think the best CEOs have both. They have a very strong point of view and a vision, but they're open-minded and, and they're coachable and they're open to feedback. I actually just had a 45-minute conversation earlier today with the CEO of a very large company, and he just drilled me with questions for 45 minutes, just wanting to learn, just yeah. curious about some of our experience at exact Target, and hopefully could pull a couple nuggets away, you know, that might be useful for him. So I think you can always learn, you know, at any stage of life and any stage of, of growing the company. Now, which voices do you listen to? That's a really, really good question, Lindsay. And I, I would say we're where I ended up kind of growing and evolving with my board was I had an extraordinarily talented board, but they were talented in very different ways and diverse in the skill set and experience they brought. So I had, for example, one board member who was lights out on strategy. Any strategy topic, he was kind of my go-to board member. I had another board member who was very gifted in M&A. And I was thinking about M&A pipeline and how to do acquisitions successfully. That was, that was who I went to. Had a different board member who was airtight on um, governance and protocol for running a board and how to think about managing risk uh, and kind of et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's useful to think about your advisors, your personal board of directors, your company board of directors, and think about do you have specialists where you have two or three topics or two or three areas where they become kind of the go-to person that you probably listen to the most? Mm -hmm. That's super helpful. How long did it take you to, to wrap your head around that? I mean, if it you, me years. Uh, it took me years, I would say, yeah, it definitely didn't come, didn't come early, didn't come overnight. I remember hearing a program talking about your personal board of directors and that impacted me in a big way also. And that the concept is, all of us have or should have a personal board of directors. You know, who are the six to eight people in your life that love you, care about you, and have your well-being in mind and are your sounding board in life? And, um, and, and it's, it's a great exercise to write down who is my personal board of directors. And then even better to let people know, hey, you're on my personal board of directors. You know, you're yeah. that close to me and I care that much about you and I know you care about my well-being that I, I think of you as like my innermost group of advisors and, and people are generally flattered and blown away by the concept, but it's, um, it's just being really thoughtful about how do I build a diverse group of advisors that can, can help me and help my company, but, but all in kind of unique and different ways. Cause you don't want, 
that's the definition of diversity or lack of diversity is you don't want five or six people that are all experts on the same topic. Yeah. You know, having, having the range and the breadth is really important. Yeah. The personal board of directors, um, it really resonates with me too. And you know that I love Brene Brown. She's my best friend. She just doesn't know it yet. Um, and so she has this thing where like on a one inch by one inch piece of paper, write down the people that actually matter because it's also easy to think, to, to start to get consumed by all the people that you feel like matter, their opinion matters because everybody's going to have an opinion about what you're doing, right, right. what you're doing wrong personally and professionally. But if you can narrow that down to a small piece of paper, um, about whose opinions really matter and who say, Hey, you're stepping out of your integrity here. You're not living in your vision here. That didn't seem like you. Um, those are the voices that can, you know, kind of have space. In- oh, absolutely. And Lindsay, I think this really applies to how you build your leadership team and how you run with your leadership team. Also, you know, once again, everyone's leadership style is different. I, I'm not the type of leader that's going to have a brilliant idea over the weekend and come in on Monday and say, hey, team, here's what we're doing. Uh, there are leaders that are highly effective at doing that. I, I'm more effective listening to others and coming up with uh, listening to everyone's ideas and maybe bubbling up the two or three that I think have the most merit and then being really collaborative on the front end to get everyone's voice and, and thoughts into a big decision we might be making. And then I kind of anchor in on the decision and away we go. And, and with that kind of collaborative approach, the be- it takes longer, but the benefit is you kind of bring people along in the journey and they feel a part of the decision. And I've always found if your, your team feels, they may not agree with every decision, probably don't, but if they feel a part of every big decision and they had a voice and we had a chance to discuss and, be- and debate, that uh, the commitment and the speed in which you're able to execute uh, really increases. Yeah. Well, and that sounds like that, like, like that's true to you. And it, I'm sure there were elements of that that were there when you were, you know, in leadership roles in high school and junior high, all the way to now. And I'm curious, I mean, you've gone from first time founder, I don't know, you know what if I just signed away my, my job to, right. to, you know, a board of directors on some incredible companies and to being that person that, that people seek out for advice and are asking to be on their board of directors and personal board of directors. Like, so how, I mean, we we could go down the path of what's that like, but truly I want to know what that's like for you. Like what things have remained the same about you from that, like sitting first time in the, the founder and CEO, like, do I deserve this CEO title mentality to now being that person that people are seeking out for advice? Like what, what do you think has remained the same? Um, kind of those vulnerabilities and that you you still carry with you and and what things do you think have been the most marked changes? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Lindsay. I I hope that most has kind of stayed the same. You know that that uh, and probably in large part to my amazing wife Erin, who keeps me like really really grounded and um, and and my daughters. Uh, but hopefully, I've most of it has just remained the same, just being the same person. And, uh, but just having a set of experiences along the way that you're grateful for and, and you're eager to try to help others, knowing that I had an infinite number of people, you know, that helped me every, every step of the way. You know, when you, when, when you have a neat experience in life and you have so many people that helped you, you know, achieve whatever goal you set, it's really natural, you know, to want to turn around and, and help, you know, help so many others as well. I think, you know, one thing that's different is, you know, when you're CEO of the organization, you're making decisions and you're in control. You may not always feel like you're in control, but you're in control of who you hire, who you work with, what strategic decisions you make. And a lot of accountability and pressure comes along with that, but you're, you're definitely in control. Now, shifting into 
the mode of coach and board member and advisor, you're really not in control. You know, you're, you're trying to offer guidance. You're, you know, maybe trying to use your power of persuasion to convince somebody to move in a certain direction, but you're ultimately not the decision maker. And you also have to get comfortable with that. So I'd say that's probably been maybe the biggest shift for me from life at exact target to, you know, life at high alpha where I'm coaching, mentoring, advising lots of different entrepreneurs and companies is just acknowledgement that the the person you're advising, the CEO, they're really the decision maker. They need to be comfortable with whatever decision they make. And I have to be willing to give my point of view, but also let go, yeah. uh, be comfortable letting go and, uh, and knowing that that it's most important that the leader make their own decisions and, and some will work out great and others won't, but that's all part of that. That's all part of the learning process that we go through is as humans, you know, it's a little bit like with your, you know, with your children, not that it's a perfect analogy, but with your children as a parent, you do the best you can to share your experience and coach and guide them. But in some areas they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to make their own mistakes. And we probably all learn by making mistakes more than yeah. we do successes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, somebody said once recently to me that success is a horrible teacher, right? <laughs> right, right? Right. I mean, if you go through a business, if you go through life and all you have is successes, you know, when things get tough, you literally have no frame of reference. Okay. So that's actually a really good transition is, is the difference, you know, exact target, high alpha, both are incredible success stories. I'm very thankful that you started High Alpha. And, but that's also, you kind of, I'm guessing, you kind of were back to that first time founder feel maybe because this this wasn't starting another SaaS company. This was becoming a VC and yeah. investor and, and running a studio and, and it told, a lot of innovation with the, the way the studio model works. But like, again, for you, similarities? What did you bring with you versus like, whoa, okay, this is different. Like specifically in your role as a leader of that, of, of high alpha, of the high alpha company, like what's, what are the similarities and differences there? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Lindsay. It's um, the last six years of building high alpha has been an absolute joy and delight. You know, I've loved, I've loved every moment of it. And there, there's an interesting mix of similarities, but you know, quite a few differences as well. You know, it's, it's really interesting with Exact Target. That was literally my first startup. Uh, so I, I was one for one and, uh, and, you know, got really lucky. You know, we, yeah. we obviously, you know, caught this incredible wave of digital marketing and incredible wave of SaaS and, and cloud. And, you know, just a lot of things have to fall your way, you know, to have a, have a, a breakout success within the world of tech. So, you know, going, going to High Alpha was like going right back down to, you know, day one. It was uh, all the you know, risk and uncertainty and fear of doing something new and, uh, and doing something different and, uh, and being vulnerable to know you may not be successful. Uh, but I, I was excited to do it. You know, I, I like, I like building, I like learning, I like, um, tackling big challenges and building a startup studio that starts, you know, many companies in parallel, you know, as you know, one startup is incredibly difficult and challenging and, and, and starting and supporting multiple at the same time, you know, really, really, really a high bar, but, uh, but I was really drawn to it because it felt like a very natural way for me to leverage um, what I'd learned along the way, uh, mistakes and successes, uh, leverage the network that we had built and, and hopefully do something extraordinary for Indianapolis and for, for future entrepreneurs. And uh, I, I sincerely had so many remarkable mentors during my exact target journey. And, and often they would ask me, you know, what, 
you know, what do you want to do next? If, if exact target's successful. And I would always say like, I want to be you. Like I, I want to be in a position where I can help others and I can, I can support entrepreneurs and leaders the way you've supported me. So shifting into high alpha, what's been really fun and exciting, you know, as you know, Lindsay is the concept of a venture studio is brand new, you know, six years ago, pairing a startup studio with the venture fund all under kind of one entity was uh, was very unique and novel. Uh, doing it around B2B SaaS, we, we believe we were among the first, if not the first in the world to start a venture studio focused on B2B SaaS. So that's fun and exciting. And then, um, so we're one part startup studio, one part venture fund. I knew very little about running a venture firm. So, and I'm still learning six years in. So for me, the being back in learning mode, you know, you back on, you know, the very early part of that next learning curve has been great where, yes, I'm kind of coaching and helping entrepreneurs, but I'm learning what it's like to run a startup studio along with my partners and same with the venture fund. And I'm making sure that, that I have mentors in my life that I'm calling on and, and learning from. And in six years in, we've learned a bunch, but we still have a lot more to go and we want to be best in the world at what we do. And that's, to me, that's what's really, really fun and motivating. I would say the other piece that I would just touch on real quickly, Lindsay, is I get asked often, like, do you miss, do you miss operating? You know, do you miss being in an operating yeah. role? And I, I usually answer that, you know, we're, we still have 40 employees at High Alpha, you yeah. know, it's not, not 2000, but we're, we're operating, you know, we have core values and culture and we're hiring and, and we're always trying to get better and refine our models. So for me, it's kind of the best of all worlds. I, I, I like having a team and having a culture and, and operating a company, but then also being in this role where we're helping so many others is like a perfect fit. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. And, and being a part of that, it's, it's interesting to kind of see behind the scenes and, and how, you know, high off works and, and uh, especially as you're raising capital, understanding how, how a venture fund works and how, what, what it's like and what the team is like and how that experience goes. In in your role, um, you are constantly looking for obviously businesses to to invest in, and specifically for the the studio, looking for founders. So that's how we met, and yes, yes, um, yes. and you know you're you have what I can only imagine is a really exciting challenge, also difficult and very risky, yeah. you know. Um, responsibility of, of finding people that like me, I, I was a, I was a marketing leader, right? I, I was marketing and, and that's how you and I met was talking about like maybe podcasting and what could this be like? How, how, what do you look for? How do you identify and how has that changed? Like what, what's it like to, to spot people that have never done this before and say, I think you should leave this and do this. And, <laughs> right, and, right. Right. I mean, like, how, what's that like for you? What are the, what are the fun parts? What are the challenging parts? What do you look for? What's that like? That's a great question. It's probably the, maybe the funnest aspect of what we do, but also you write the hardest and most challenging. I think it's more art than science. And, you know, we we're always working kind of a pipeline of big ideas and big markets and new problems to solve. And then kind of a talent pipeline, you know, of founders, we think that uh, have the, the skills and the, competitiveness and the, and the desire to go build that company with us. So, you know, I'd say some of the, some of the learnings we've had over the years, Lindsay, you know, that have kind of shaped what we look for. I think the first is founder idea fit. Hmm. And, and you're a tremendous example of this. You and I met during sprint week when we were ideating and this idea of a, a, a platform for marketers 
all, all built around podcasts and you were living it as a, as a marketing leader, both hosting a podcast, but also thinking about how does that podcast kind of permeate through, you know, really large enterprise. So I think for, first is finding that, that founder idea fit. It's got to be tremendous. The, the founder, as you know, you, you have to be so committed to solving a problem or capitalizing an opportunity or making the world a better place through this business that you're committed to doing it, you know, for five, 10 years, maybe, yeah. maybe longer, you know, so that, I think that, that is kind of number one. Um, I think number two, we're looking for just natural leaders that can build remarkable teams, you know, that, that others are want to work side by side with and, and kind of rally behind their vision. You know, I think that's really, really important. And then maybe third is just the uh, grit and determination and competitiveness to just be so convinced um, of where you're heading that nothing's going to, nothing's going to get you down. Nothing's going to yeah. slow you down. And as you know, there are a lot of ups, but also a lot of downs yeah. in the startup world. And uh, it, it can be very humbling. And, you know, there's a lot of rejection that comes when a, a customer, you know, a prospect says no, or a customer says, I'm not going to renew or investor says, no, thanks. I don't think this is a big market opportunity. And you, yeah. uh, you have to be a good enough listener that you, you bring that feedback in, you use it as fuel and motivation. Maybe you change course a little bit, but um, you don't like lose your resolve and determination that you're going to be successful. So that, th those are probably the, the top three that come to mind for me. It's like almost an insane person. <laughs> it's like, like, I don't care how many people tell me no, how many people tell me I'm crazy, how many people tell me this isn't going to be a thing. I'm just going to continue to believe this story that I'm telling myself, which sounds crazy, but it's, it's what's required. I mean, like there, there is no one that can shake me from believing what cast it is, is and what it's going to be. And that's, that's what's required, but it's uh You're so right. I mean, if you, if you don't believe it right down to the core, nobody else is, you're not going to get and and so much, so much of this role is bringing others along with you. Yeah. Team members, customers, investors, and you just have to believe it right down to your bones, you know, right down to the core that this is going to happen and we're going to, we're going to shape the future. You have to kind of believe that you can, you can bend the future. You know, mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes yes. is the, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And, you know, it really kind of takes that mindset, you know, as a, as a startup entrepreneur. It's, it is so true because sometimes, sometimes talking about the best of times and the worst of times, sometimes that's all you have, right? <laughs> when, when things are, I mean, you know, going back a year ago for us, I mean, we were not, we were just about a year into the business and COVID hit and, you know, we were in the doldrums of summer, which, you know, come to find out is like a thing and just things were tough. And, and we, it, myself, and then to my co-founders and the, the smaller team that we had then just had to say, we're still, we're, we're still going here. We're still on a rocket ship. We've had some turbulence but we're still going there. And you, you do, sometimes that's literally all you've got and uh, got to muster it up. And you're right. You've got to, you just have to embrace it. You know, it's a part of the journey, you know, with our, with our exact target story, you could listen to it from afar and think, Whoo, boy, that was, that was breezy. You know, that yeah. was kind of all easy and up into the right. And, um, and, but the real story is, you know, there are so many setbacks, you know, difficulty getting funded, uh, product outages that, you know, lasted a weekend that put our customers, you know, in a compromised position. We had a failed IPO, um, you know, losing key members of the team that you don't want to lose. You know, it's just, there's a lot of heartache along the way. 
but uh, but if you if you have that determination, you you hop right over them as speed bumps and you keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's important too. Is to 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 share those stories that it's you know it's not up and to the right. It's you know success stories do this, and you know it's it's important. It's important to, to remember those too. Speaking of that, with um with you know best of times and worst of times, you have seen a lot of founders succeed. You've seen a lot of founders struggle. So I want to I want to hear kind of common common mistakes that you see made, but then we'll maybe kind of wrap it up with um, like advice that you have based on what you've seen work. So sure, first, I'd be happy to. First challenges, common challenges, and and kind of um, common missteps that you see among you know first time founders and people in this seat. Okay. I think, I think maybe common missteps, Lindsay, would be getting overwhelmed, you know, with the 101 things you need to be doing and, and maybe not prioritize it properly. So mm-hmm. I think time management and like fierce prioritization is, is difficult to learn, but as a startup or scale up entrepreneur, you have to be really, really good at it. So I find the best, the best entrepreneurs are laser focused and they're, incredible at prioritization. I think, I think that's really important. I I think maybe second would be making sure you're always up-leveling your team. You know, you're not afraid to stretch for hires that are remarkable and and might have quite a bit more experience than you do. You just have to have confidence that you're able to recruit anybody anywhere. And what you're building is so special that like remarkable people want to be a part of it. And when you do that, you can empower them in ways you never even imagined, and it allows you to become your best. I, you know, I, I would often answer the question of, you know, how did you kind of grow and develop as a leader from, you know, kind of scrappy startup founder to running a public company? And I would, I would generally answer it as mentors, advisors, you know, a board of directors, and and that was certainly early, uh, very very important. But I'd say in the later stage, it was the leadership team I was able to assemble. They were so gifted, so remarkable. Um, knew so much more than I did about about their area of business, or maybe just even scaling software companies. That them being so good like elevated me and just yeah. forced me to be a better leader. And uh, I, I probably learned more from them than they learned from me. So that that might be the second one is is being comfortable hiring people that have more experience than you, and knowing that's the only way you're going to really scale as a leader. Yeah. Uh, and the third, I would just maybe say is. Being and you're you're so authentic, Lindsay, and I think so good at this. But it's just making sure that you stay authentic and stay true to yourself, and you lead the way you want to lead. You lead in a way that isn't what you think other people want you to be doing, but it's just you know, and you know, you know, like in your heart, this is the way I want to build a team, the way I want to lead, what I'm really good at, and you find a way to leverage your strengths rather than try to fit into a leadership mold that you think others want you to fit into. That's really, really important. Yeah. Conviction and discernment are important. <laughs> Very important. So, well, um, is there, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you feel like um, people in this role or are interested in this role or excited about the idea of entrepreneurship or think that it's really glamorous um, should know? I think maybe the last thing I would touch on and I know you're a big advocate of this also, Lindsay, is having a coach. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coaches really didn't exist in the form they exist today when I was when I was running Exact Target. So I think my board and investors were kind of my coach. But I think it's really healthy to have a coach who is not a board member, not an investor. They, 
they just really care about you and your best interests. And you can have a level of maybe disclosure and vulnerability with them that you may not always be comfortable with, with an investor or board member. You know, I like to think as, as I'm sitting on boards and investing that I can build a really true and authentic relationship and CEOs are going to be really, really open with me. And I, I hope that's the case. But you also kind of know in your heart of hearts, you know, as a leader, sometimes you don't want to show your vulnerability or you don't want to expose what you don't know or a mistake you've made. And I think having a disconnected uh, coach or a mentor can be really, really useful. And I'm seeing those that, put it this way, of all the CEOs I work with, I've never had one regret getting a coach. Like I only hear like really kind of rave reviews and accolades about getting that support and also maybe getting that support for your leadership team as well, because you're you want to help them them grow and you want to grow together as a team. So I think that that notion of a coach can be quite powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it it is, um, I agree with everything you said. And it's also lonely be, because of that. Yeah. You, you are, it's ironic that you're surrounded by so many voices and so much, so many advisors and so many people that um, want to help. And also those that you're leading but truly it can be lonely because there's not, um, you're not surrounded by people that you can fully be, you know, fully transparent, fully vulnerable, fully whatever it is with. So it is really, really important to have that community. Um, and at least that one person that you can go to. And you know, maybe last thing too, Lindsay is, is like, make sure you have fun, you know, like leadership and building companies is yes, it's hard work, but it's also really, really fun. Mm-hmm. And, and don't forget that, that more things are in your control than you think. Like, you know, Mm. sometimes you kind of lose sight of the fact that you do have a lot of control. One of the benefits of being a CEO is you, you get to make hiring decisions. You literally get to decide who you work with. You literally get to decide who you work with every day. You also get to decide, you know, direction of the business and, and many other decisions along the way. And while you have constituents that you, you need to listen to and and get their feedback, you're ultimately in control and, um, and you can build whatever type of organization you want to build. Because I, I've had a number of entrepreneurs approach me and say, I'm just, you know, I'm not sure I want to build a company any bigger than 50 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll say, why not? And they'll say, well, you know, it just gets too bureaucratic and too much structure. And I'm like, you're in charge. Build a company <laughs> any way you want. You know, if you want to build a new model for how to build and scale a company, do it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be beholden to, uh, you know, some old antiquated notions of, of how companies should be built. You're in charge. So, so remember you're in charge, you have control and also make sure you have a lot of fun along the way. I love it. It's a wonderful place to leave it on a nice high note. Very inspiring. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for everything, for, for your partnership with me and with the business. And uh, of course, for sharing your insights here today. This was lovely. My pleasure. Thank you, Lindsay. I enjoyed it. There you have it. There we were, casting a vision. I can't wait to hear how it resonated with you. So let me know. Reach out on LinkedIn or find me on Twitter at CastedLindsay or Casted at GoCasted. Thanks, and be sure to join us next time for the next episode of Casting a Vision.